0: My name is Mark Putman. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be in the house of God with each of you this morning. So let me ask you a few questions. Do you walk through life with confidence, intensity, and strength, determined to make things happen? Is your leadership style decisive and assertive? Do you work hard to be a change agent in the world, working for justice and protection for others? Do you resist ever showing your vulnerable side for fear it would give others power over you? Well, if you answered yes to any of these questions, you might just be a type eight on the Enneagram personality profile. Type eights are also known as the challenger. We are in week eight of the series, looking at each of the nine personality types that are part of Enneagram. Now, we are all uniquely and wonderfully made by God, and each one of us in our dominant personality type reflects a part of who God is. And God, in the human form of Jesus Christ, is a perfect reflection of all of the best and healthy parts of each of these nine qualities. We are seeking to use the Enneagram as a tool in order to help us understand ourselves better because when we understand ourselves better, both the healthy and the unhealthy parts of our personality, we can use that knowledge to grow healthier and to find our unique path for transformation more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Today, we're looking at personality type eight, the challenger. They get this name because of all the personality types. Eights enjoy taking on challenges themselves and also giving other people the challenge to exceed themselves in some way. Eights are charismatic and they have the capability to persuade other people to follow them into all kinds of endeavors, from starting a new company, to rebuilding a city, to running a household, to waging war, to making peace. Challengers have enormous willpower and vitality. They feel most alive when they are exercising these capacities in the world. They enjoy using their energy to make changes in their environment, to leave their mark on it, so to speak, but also to to keep their environment and especially other people from hurting them and the people they care about. At an early age, eights understand that this requires strength, will, persistence, and endurance. Qualities that they develop in themselves and which they look for in others. Eights are a strong, independent, powerful force. People will often say that you know when a type eight enters the room because they have this sort of commanding presence about them. And that presence may come from direct communication, what they say, or from just their quiet strength. But either way, you know an eight is in the room. They don't have very much patience with what they see as weaknesses, either in themselves or in other people, but they are defenders of people who are being treated unjustly or who are powerless. Challengers are self-confident. They have strong and assertive personalities. They can be fiercely protective of the people who are closest to them. They are resourceful straight-talking and decisive, but they can sometimes come across as being egocentric and domineering. Now, the core desire of the challenger is to protect themselves and the people who are in their inner circle. Eights want to be in control of their lives and their destiny. They want to be self-reliant, to assert themselves, to prevail over other people and to be invincible. When eights are emotionally healthy, they have a resourceful, can-do kind of attitude, as well as a steady inner drive. They love to take the initiative and make things happen with a great passion for life. They are honorable and authoritative, natural leaders who have a solid, commanding presence. Their groundedness gives them a lot of common sense as well as the ability to be decisive. Eights are willing to take the heat, knowing that any decision they make will not please everyone. But as much as possible, they want to look after the interests of the people in their charge without playing favorites. They use their talents and fortitude to construct a better world for everyone in their lives. Eights do not want to be controlled or to allow others to have control over them. This is their core fear. And a lot of their behavior is involved with making sure that they retain and increase whatever power they have for as long as possible. An eight may be a general or a gardener, a small businessman or a tycoon, the mother of a family or the mother superior of a religious community. It doesn't matter. Being in charge and leaving their imprint on their sphere of influence is uniquely characteristic of an eight. Challengers are the true rugged individualists of the Enneagram. More than any other type, they stand alone. They want to be independent and they resist being indebted to anyone they often refuse to give in to social convention and they can defy fear, shame, and concern about the consequences of their actions. Although they are usually aware of what people think of them, they do not let the opinions of others sway them. They go about their business with a steely determination that can be awe-inspiring, but also intimidating to others. Although to some extent eights fear physical harm, far more important is their fear of being disempowered or controlled in some way. Eights are extraordinarily tough and can absorb a great deal of physical punishment without complaining. This can be a double-edged sword since they often take their health and stamina for granted and overlook the health and well-being of others as well. Yet they are desperately afraid of being hurt emotionally and will use their physical strength to protect their feelings and keep others at a safe emotional distance. Beneath the tough facade is vulnerability, although it it has been covered over by a layer of emotional armor. Each of the nine personality types struggles with a core weakness or a core sin. This is the one issue that usually causes this type to stumble in life. And for the type eight, the core weakness is lust or excess. They desire control, intensity, and power. They can willfully push themselves and others to get what they want. We have a couple of challengers on staff here at Anderson Hills. Take a look at this short video and hear how being a type eight affects Eric and Sue Lee.
1: Another name for the number eight challenger is the active controller. How does that fit you? For me, actually, uh, before I surrendered my life to the Lord, raising my children, try to control over my kids. They have to do certain ways this way, and then I didn't realize unintentionally I was controlling my children. But and yet, after I became Christian and released all my wealth, my heart to the Lord, knowing Jesus is my Lord, so I surrender intentionally, surrender my heart, surrender my will to the Lord. What is your greatest fear?
2: My eightness in me is. Like, me wanting to be in the very most intense place I can be for the Lord. Like, intense meaning, like doing the most, leading the most, (laughs) having everything, just like, there's no settling. And so I think my fear is that I'm not, like, living to the utmost that I can be all the time.
1: What is your greatest need? My greatest need is the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I've been crying out to the Lord, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, fill me with your power. So what? So I can witness the love of God to the people. So that is, I just cry out for the presence of the Lord and power of the Holy Spirit. That's my greatest need.
2: Yeah, I want to take that answer. Because <laughs> I totally agree with Julie. And we have, It's funny, since we're both eights or have the same kind of um, personalities in a way, even though they manifest in different ways. We, we both push for the same things, I think, on staff, yes. and we both ask for the same things, and we're both yes. working towards the same things very often. In this season, I've just been like, Lord, I just want intimacy with you. I just want to be close to you, because if I'm gonna do what you're calling me to do, I just need to feel you close.
1: So how does being a Type 8, the Challenger, impact your relationship with Christ?
2: It's like I can very easily add the Lord into what I want to see happen. And I have to be really careful of that because, because we're the controller type, you know, the eight, um, which can be a really great thing or a really bad thing. Just the just the need to control and to lead at all times. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, wait, did you really want us to do that? You know, or something like that. But just, you know, and so it's so important for me to be so close to the Lord and have my ears open and have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what do you actually want and to be close to Him in order to lead in the right way? Every day I say,
1: God, I will move that. I don't want to miss out opportunity. Mm-hmm. So downside of that is more like, oh, am I striving too much? And I don't want to strive. I want to yield it to the Lord. Yeah because it is my desire always to hear God, know God's will and do it. And I say, am I missing it? (laughs) And I don't wanna be afraid of missing it because God is full of grace and mercy. But and yet it helps me to go deeper with the Lord. It helps me to dig what God desires for our lives.
0: Well, there is someone else from scripture who was a type eight, the challenger. His name is John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a very unique person. He seemed to challenge convention with everything he did. He wore strange clothes. Uh, he shunned the latest fashionable togas from Brooks Brothers in Jerusalem, and instead he shopped at Animal Skins or Us. He ate weird food too. I mean he probably never had any friends that wanted to be invited to his house for a dinner party. I mean his menu was less like the fine dining downtown at Soto and more like scrounging for bugs on an episode of Survivor. John the Baptist had been set apart by God to play a very special role even before his conception. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah while he was attending to his priestly duties at the temple and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son, and they were to name him John. John would be great in God's sight, and he was to be set apart as a Nazarite, never drinking wine or any fermented drink. John was filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth. And when John grew up and began his ministry, he was a straightforward truth-teller, He was not afraid to stand up to other people, even the religious authorities. He did that to stand up for a greater cause. He used his confrontational style of preaching to get right to the heart of the matter. Let's hear how the Gospel of Matthew introduces us to John. I'm reading from chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. In those days... People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so for now. is strong and confident in the message he proclaims out there in the desert. And his message draws people to come out of the complacency of their lives and listen to him. John's message is compelling. First, John says bluntly that the kingdom of God is upon them. God's judgment day is near, and it's not going to be a great day for people who are not faithful. John says people whose lives don't reflect what they say they believe are like unproductive fruit trees that don't bear any fruit. They aren't good for anything. So all you can do is take an ax to them and and cut them down to the root and throw the tree into the blazing fire. But, John proclaims, there is one way to get ready for judgment day, and that way is through repentance. Repentance. Repentance means a total transformation of your priorities and your values and a complete overhaul of your lifestyle. Your priorities have to become God's priorities. Your values have to become God's values. Your lifestyle has to reflect your obedience to God through your actions, through words, through your deeds. Your life has to bear fruit worthy of your repentance, John called out the Pharisees and Sadducees because they were often hypocrites who did not practice the things that they preached for everyone else to do. Second, John says that you can't rely on your family tree to help you get into heaven. To the Jews, he said, don't rely on being a Jew. Don't rely on being descended from Abraham. God can turn rocks into descendants of Abraham. But John invites anyone and everyone to repent, to be baptized, and to be spared of God's wrath. Finally, John's message is clear in conveying that he is only the messenger. He is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. John has a healthy self-awareness both of who he is and who he is in relation to the Messiah. In addition to being a force to be reckoned with, challengers often bring a message that has to be reckoned with. Eights are strong defenders of people who are treated unjustly or who are powerless. Luke tells us a very similar account of John the Baptist to Matthew, but with several differences. Let's look at Luke 3, 7 to 18, and listen for both the similarities and the differences in Luke's retelling. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food, should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. In Luke's telling of John's preaching, he emphasizes the ordinary people who are going out to hear John's message of repentance. And his message is really hitting home and sinking in with them, so much so that it is causing the people to ask him questions like, what do we have to do to put our desire to change into action? John starts by telling people who have enough to share what they, have, what they have with people who do not have enough. If you have two shirts, give one of them to someone who doesn't have a shirt. If you have enough food to eat three square meals a day, give some food to people who don't have enough to eat. Next, some tax collectors asked what they should do. Now, you have to know that tax collectors back then were absolutely hated for their dishonesty. Tax collectors were local people. They were your friends. They were your neighbors who lived around you. But they worked for the occupying forces of Rome to collect Roman taxes. And they earned their money by collecting more money than was actually due for the taxes because they got to keep the overage. So the more they could swindle out of you, the richer they got. And John told them, be honest, don't collect any more than is due. And when the soldiers asked what they should do, and again, remember, these soldiers are Roman occupying forces. John told them not to take advantage of people extorting money from them or bringing false accusations against them. John used his personality as a type 8 defender of the downtrodden, not only to stand up for the weaker members of society, but to teach others to do the same. And of course, he did this because he was called by God, and it is biblically what God has commanded his followers to do. It is the message of the kingdom of God breaking in that John is preaching. Eights often stand up for people who are most vulnerable, but they often have difficulty being vulnerable themselves or accepting their own vulnerability. The Apostle Paul wrote about his own struggle with vulnerability in 2 Corinthians. He wrote, "'Even if I should choose to boast,' I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, Paul recognized his own weakness, and in fact, he came to embrace it. Now, we don't know what his thorn in the side actually was, but it was enough of a weakness to him that he begged God to take it away from him three different times. However, through learning to accept his weakness, he came to have a better understanding of God's strength. He came to rely on God's power more than his own, and it kept him humble. John the Baptist had learned humility early. He had learned to keep whatever ambition he may have had in check. He continually measured what he was called by God to do against the one who was coming after him, the Messiah. He recognized the importance of his task for God, but still realized that when compared to the Messiah, he was not even worthy to carry his sandals. John was a healthy type eight. He had grown in God's grace. So what had he learned to make that the case? And how do today's type eights grow in grace and into the healthiest version of the challenger? Well, when you come to believe and trust that God loves you and that all that God has is yours, You begin to relax and let go of your personality's constraints and lies that you've come to believe over the years. It is then that you can draw nearer to God and move in the direction that aligns you with Him. Then God blesses you with real and lasting transformation, shaping you into who He made you to be. One thing that eights can work on to grow in grace is to learn to pursue and to extend mercy. Aids don't have very much patience with themselves or with others when they see weaknesses. So learning to extend mercy to themselves and then to extend it to others is a good way to grow. Aids can work on growing in their consideration for others, to be quicker to serve others, and to put the needs of others above their own. James 3.17 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Aids can also remember that mercy and judgment have to work together. Let yourself be stretched by God because of his mercy and kindness to those who repent and change. John the Baptist pronounced the judgment of God on the world and on people who were disobedient to God, and he proclaimed to them the solution. Repent, change your life, and you will receive mercy. That is the good news. James 2.13 says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, mercy triumphs over judgment. Eights can also grow in grace by striving to grow in humility, not thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to, keeping their impression of themselves in right relationship to their position with God. Finally, eights can grow in allowing themselves to be more vulnerable, letting down their strong exterior now and then, showing more of their feelings, tenderheartedness, and soft spots. Eights, you don't have to strive so hard to be in control all the time, protecting yourselves and the people who are dear to you because you are loved by God. You belong to God. God is your protector and he will protect those you love also. You can be your real self with God, strong sometimes in all of his healthiest aspects, and weak, and vulnerable sometimes, letting God show his mighty strength through you. Yes, the kingdom of God is near. Let us repent and turn to God our Savior, and no matter what number we are, let God keep remaking us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we can reflect Christ to the world. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for creating each and every one of us uniquely and wonderfully a reflection of part of your image. Lord, we long to be the healthiest versions of ourselves, redeemed by you, renewed by you, a part of the body of Christ, our part fitting into the puzzle which makes up the whole so that together all of us, no matter our personality, reflects the fullness and completeness of the body of Christ to the world so that the world sees Christ living in us. Lord, keep renewing us, keep remaking us, keep us growing in you, and then send us out into the world to be your servants, reflecting your light, the light of Jesus Christ, to a world that so desperately needs to see it and come out of darkness. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.